subscription to hope that you enjoyed this rare and infamous moment that combines a first-rate disaster with genuine historical significance. But now it's time to take a deep breath and get those cameras out as we prepare to temporarily reset you to one of the most fantastic catastrophes in history. Are you ready? Everyone and welcome back to an episode of the Time Shifters podcast. This is Christopher here, as always, with my good friend Tom. Tom, how the heck have you been? Not too shabby. How are you doing, sir? I've been doing well. Doing well. It, I'm happy to have uh, been healthy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I imagine this is your first stint since last time we recorded, where you have had a nice, decent stretch of not being ill. Well, you'd be surprised. I mean, I get over COVID. And then, like, uh, two weeks later, I get a damn stomach bug. Oh, jeez. Like a little, one of the little 24-hour bugs. And then, um, and then I wrenched my back. Oh, <laughs> so, I'm, I'm almost back to where I was. <laughs> that, that and listeners, he just turned extra old. Yeah, that's where I think the back wrenching is just kind of a reminder that my birthday was coming up. <laughs> Boy, we've had some news come up uh, since the last time we recorded. Unfortunately, a lot of it's kind of sad news. Uh, One uh, a little bit ago, uh, Stephen Walker, who is not a name that a lot of people will know, but he was the founder of the Denver Starfest convention, which I know many of you have heard me mention, which uh, just shuttered its doors this past uh, April. Uh, he passed away, unfortunately, uh, un- and very unexpectedly. And that was uh, very sad for the community and the, the Starfest family, as well as the entire Walker family. I mean, he helped bring a lot of people together through Starfest. And, you know, that, that was a family-run convention, and it had been from the get-go way back in the in the 70s. And very sad news for something like that to happen just so suddenly and, and, and such after already the bad news of Starfest having to, to close down. So certainly I just wanted to mention, you know, my, my condolences and send, you know, my, my thoughts go out to the entire Starfest family and in particular the Walker family. Uh, it, you know, his, uh, his presence will be missed in the community. Yes, you've always talked so lovingly of that particular one, and it was ne- one of those that I've never been able to to get to and always kind of regretted. Yes, yes. Well, believe me, when I when I left my last Starfest and I, it was never meant to be goodbye, it was always meant to be a see you later. Yeah. Other sad news and this is something that I think everyone has been seeing coming if they follow uh Rico Browning's uh kind of career and his uh, his appearances and everything and all is he he has passed away at the age of i believe he made it to 93 uh, he just had a birthday earlier in february uh he'd been uh, his health had been declining a lot over the past uh, couple years um but he was still doing conventions up until about a, a year I, I think as as about a year ago i think he was still finding his way to conventions wow. Um, despite his poor health, he was kind of uh, stuck in a wheelchair for the most part and everything, but he would still come out and meet the fans and sign autographs and talk with people and answer questions. Loved his fans. This is, 
I should mention for anyone who doesn't know, Rico Browning is the last of the Universal Monsters. He did all the underwater Creature of the Black Lagoon filming. I mean, it was him in the suit swimming in in, in the pool in, in, in the lagoon. And he did that for all three films, but he went on to be a... Um, a, a stunt coordinator and director of in his own right. Mm-hmm. He he did the stunt underwater uh, stunt coordination for uh, the James Bond films Thunderball, and uh, there was another one too. And I can't think of the uh, the title of the other one. There's another underwater uh, fight scene that he choreographed as well. Amazing man, incredible career, and just had a, had the pleasure of meeting him a couple times. Uh, I, I got to talk to him and interview him when he came to the Cincinnati Comic Expo nice. back in, I think it was 2015. Uh, and that was very cool. And then he came to a Monster Bash uh, a, a couple years ago. And I was, I took my, uh, my Creature of the Black Lagoon. I've got like a 12, 14-inch Creature of the Black Lagoon yeah. uh, figure. Yeah. I took that up there and had him sign the window. So I've got that with the big Rico Browning, you know, scrolled across the front of it. Yeah, I, cool. It's a very prized possession. Uh, yeah, he was he was just, he was fantastic. Really neat career. Really just always generous with his time with the fans and everything. And so it was very sad day. He lived a, a long, good, and full life. And uh, yeah, just unfortunate. But, but it, it it has to happen, but um, you you wish it didn't. Right. Oh, and uh, while you were throwing out credits, I'm just now seeing he also worked on Caddyshack. Did he really? He did. He was second unit and assistant director. <laughs> Unbelievable. I had no idea. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I already knew I liked the man, but now I really do. <laughs> I haven't been watching a whole lot of anything, really. Just kind of still doing a little uh, here and there, mm-hmm. this and that. Um, I watched a film. I had not seen it before from the 50s. I kind of felt like dipping back into like the old uh, the old films. I watched one called The Night the World Exploded. Oh, can't say I know that one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an okay film. I, I really thought it was kind of hindered with the amount of stock footage that it had to use. Because it was very low budget, you know. We're talking uh, last week about drive-in movie uh, in the fifties. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, this is a film that would have like uh, probably been at the bottom bill or something like that <laughs> you know, at a drive-in. It's the first um, show or the last one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Is ever when everyone else is is either leaving or making out. Yeah, this, this is, is the, the film that's going to be. This is the make-out movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. The one thing that stood out for me in this film, and this is something that happens a lot in the 50s, whenever there's like this a world cataclysm kind of thing, the 50s had such high hopes for humanity mm-hmm. because it always comes down to, well, if the world unites, <laughs> I'm thinking we're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not feeling so warm and fuzzy about that these days. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no. If they all, all the world unites and does this one thing with their resources or their weapons and whatever, I'm like, yeah, this this isn't going to happen in the 21st century. Another film I checked out, because they were going to talk about it on the uh, B-MovieCast podcast, there is an uh, Italian film called Island of the Fishmen. It's Italian, but it stars a lot of English-speaking actors, and the whole thing is in English. And again... It's one of these films where it's not bad. Yeah. Uh, you'll find it here in the States sometimes uh, as Screamers. Not to confuse with the Peter Weller film of the same name from the 90s. Okay. 
And it was brought over to the States by Roger Corman, who actually shot like about a five, ten minute segment at the beginning of the film, which is nothing but just an excuse for like some gore effects and everything, I guess, to get people's interest. And then it switches to like the Italian film. It's very bizarre. It has nothing to do with the rest of the film or anything. It's very weird. It's a very odd segment at the beginning of this thing. Uh, what the highlight though is that there are fishmen, and the suits and the effects for these things are actually really impressive for what I'm guessing was a small budget. Yeah, they are actually really good, and they had like six full suits. Damn. Yeah, and they had a lot of like them these these people swimming in these things underwater and everything. It's worth it just for the just for checking out the uh, actual fishman effect and everything. I'm always mystified, and since we were just talking about it with the creature from the Black Lagoon, I'm always mystified when you have that level of work and you're going to do it underwater. <laughs> it's insane. Yes, no, absolutely. They actually, they others have tried and not pulled it off near as well as this, and I, I was really impressed. And the fact that they were able to have six of them, that's really impressive. Very often you'll get maybe one full suit, maybe two, and then you get like a, just a bunch of arms and legs that they like, flail in front of the camera or something the last film i'll I'll mention is one and this is a warning to keep away from it (laughs) love those yeah this one i I found i think i probably found it on amazon uh called monsters of war okay oh you know you know how i found this one my roku actually led me astray on this one oh really the home screen of my roku this thing came up as the like that it was streaming on something I'm like, all right, that seems like what I'm in the mood for today. So I clicked on it. Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> uh, it, even for a bad movie, it was just, it, it was bad. Uh, there are some child actors in this, which, you know, I'm sorry to, like, complain about a child actor, but these kids literally were, like, reading off cards. And they sounded like it. This is how they would talk. Mom. Please don't go into the woods. Uh, it's like, you couldn't pick kids with a little bit further on their reading scale, you know, anything to make it a little bit more natural. From the directorial styles of, like, James Nguyen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, Bird, Birdemic kind of level of... If, yeah, if Birdemic was Kiddemic, this is what the, <laughs> these kids would be. Wow. Honestly, I'm not even want to get into it. It's just, it's really bad CGI. It's just a whole bunch of people doing the absolutely worst you, thing you can do in any situation in order to keep the plot moving along. It's just really bad. Just stay clear of Monsters of War. <laughs> just consider this your warning. Don't, don't watch that one. Even if you like bad movies, trust me, <laughs> this is, this is so bad. You do, it's not even funny bad. That- that's rough, because been there, done that with way too many films where it's just like, this has no value. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really. It, maybe, I mean, you have your, like, uh, you have your friends that get together uh, once a week or whatever and kind of do a bad movie night or something. Yep. Maybe you've had a group of people where you can actually literally, like, while it's going on, you can talk and go, why are they doing this? Why would they get out? There's something out there. Why would they get out of their car? You know, that's the level of yeah. Of stupidity. You, you have to be prepared to misty the thing all the way through. <laughs> yes, absolutely. 
But yeah, other than that, I haven't been doing a whole lot. Uh, I, be, I have been occasionally diving into the Star Trek animated series. Okay. Like the original, oh, the like original 1970s. Yeah. Shockingly yeah. good series. I mean, not too bad. Hell, but... Oh, yes. But honestly, not terrible stories if you just take the story part out. Yeah. And, well, even some of the stories you could tell are really good ideas. Mm-hmm stretched into a 30 minute story and there's a lot of padding in between yeah, there, you know there, there's a the few episodes where like look it's the enterprise again <laughs> yeah there there is a bit of that uh the thing i always kind of marveled at with that animated series since i finally got to get around to watching it is it did get to do what the series couldn't do which was actually have more aliens on it yeah and aliens that weren't just different colored paint on their face yeah and they were crew members which yes yes which was excellent because that was a thing that i felt was kind of missing and it's actually the thing i still find a little cringe worthy from the original series is everything's very human centric and i'm like you know spock's standing right there <laughs> yeah yeah you always get like a sense of uh not sure the right word. A sense of community among the cast. I mean, most of the cast comes back and does their own voices. But then, like, folks like uh, Nichelle Nichols and James Doohan provided a lot of the voices for the other characters. Yeah. And I, you, you, you can tell. You can hear it. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Major Barrett, I think, provided some voices as well as, you know. And you, you can tell it's them, but it's just, I don't know, it feels... It's like putting on the, that old pair of shoes that you love, mm-hmm. even though they're falling apart. They're just really comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that, that's how you feel when you're when you hear their voices and you, you see them kind of putting in that extra effort. Like I said, as campy and cheesy as some of it is, it's still kind of a fun watch. Mm-hmm. It is. It is not bad. They they do have some occasionally some really interesting stories, and I remember remember the animation feeling really poor and rough but it isn't as bad as i remembered it being yeah no I, or or it could have definitely been not as it not as bad as the impression i had of it it, it is not it is definitely inexpensive animation sure. and it is a lot of reused you know they'll they'll draw a, a sequence of animation and then they'll use that over and over sometimes throughout the same episode yes. <laughs> but it it isn't too bad and honestly I'll tell you what, where they went cheap on like some of the animation of the uh, characters, the people loved drawing the Enterprise. They did. <laughs> it actually looks really good it, in most of its uh, appearances. Yeah, the animated Enterprise almost was more lovingly handled than the model. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And and they could make it do more things technically. Uh, it, it, you got to see it move around and do other things than than normal. And even that was with the cheesy, cheap animation they were doing. Because, let's face it, original... Uh, before you get to the remastered original series where they put in better effects for the exteriors, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it, you can have about the same five <laughs> cuts of the Enterprise right. in every episode. Yeah, the best you get is uh, Sulu evasive maneuvers, and you'd get the one shot of the Enterprise just suddenly ducking to the right. (laughs) Just veers viciously to the right, and that's it. Yeah. So, like, 
Did you just knock it off of its stand? Is that how you got that <laughs> that's, shot? That's, that's, that's how they got that, yep. <laughs> but yeah, that's all I've been watching. That's all I've really got to report. It's all the news that I had. What have you been up to? Uh, I'll, I'll use uh, Star Trek as a segue. I know I know for our audience that they, they don't fully understand that I like Star Trek. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but and I'm not going to spoil anything. But uh, we're two episodes about to get to the third episode of uh, the Picard third season, and I've read some of the critiques of it. I get it. Uh, taking Star Trek into grittier territory is always a little rough. It starts to feel like it tarnishes. Um, but there is still a whole lot of underlying fun in this. And as I just explained to you ahead of the show, it it's not just a love letter back to Next Generation. It's a love letter to all of Star Trek. As you watch it without spoiling anything, there's no opening see there's no opening credit sequence like there was in the prior two seasons. Um so it just comes in with music and goes into a title and that's it. Um but it's all old Star Trek music. So you get you get the da 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 and you get that. Um but what I find mesmerizing is when you get to the end of the episode and they go through music, but they go through music from all eras of Star Trek. You'll get uh, you'll get the theme from First Contact and then it'll move into um, uh, Wrath of Khan and then it'll move into a- another. Uh, it'll do more of a it, it's it's the next generation theme, but it's the but it's actually the motion picture version of that theme. And it moves through those in a medley. And it's like, that is really cool. And then in sound effects, you'll get, like, we've got our new version of the ship. It's the Titan A. And it's it's designed off of um, movie Kirk era design. So it's meant to look like a retro version of their own starships. It's... It, it, it it's intended there, there's a whole line of them now is uh is the federation has decided to kind of bring back that look into the 25th century and when they do that our first time ever hearing photon torpedoes fired out of the titan they're the sound effect from the original series very so cool. you get that do 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 uh and that carrying reverb that comes off of the torpedoes coming out. And like, that is, it's just, it's hitting you on all the good, warm, fuzzy spots. So. Nice. Good. I could go get my uh, my Enterprise over there. It's got sound effects. I could fire off some photon There torpedoes. you go. Uh, <laughs> and, and that would be the sound effect that you'd get. <laughs> nice. Yeah, very cool. I haven't had a chance to to, uh, to check it out, Picard season three yet. So, but I am looking forward to that. Is actually one that is on the short list to uh, to actually watch. Yeah, no, you'll have to hit that. Yep, I believe Strange New Worlds. Uh, the next season is going to premiere here soon too, isn't it? I even saw a. Now it, it, it's mostly a rumor news story, but they're already talking shooting season three this May. Yeah. 
So well, we haven't even seen two, but we're already going to go into production for three. So well, that's that's a good sign. I hope. Happy to hear it. I hope. Uh, I hope season two is as good or better than season one. They kind of hit it yeah. out of the park the first round, and I don't know how that makes me nervous. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. I think we we mentioned that last year that we we're little uh cautiously optimistic <laughs> a little worried about you know how how well they did that they can keep up that momentum well, yeah historically good trek always starts bad <laughs> yeah that's true i mean the next generation was terrible until you got to to season three so yeah and it needed time to find its legs and the notion that a show found its legs on first episode I don't know, but I hope they get <laughs> yes. to carry that momentum. <laughs> yeah, hope so. We'll see. Yeah. Anything else, or should we uh, put a pin in the top half of the show? I will mention only one other thing because the, I, sure. I found, I, I got in a in a, an apocalypse style mood this past weekend. Um, watched uh, Knock at the Cabin. I'm not going to get into that. It's an M Night Shyamalan movie. Um, Lots of people you'll recognize in the film, but uh, I, I don't say this necessarily as derogatory, but I really think M. Night Shyamalan wants to make religious, if not Christian movies. Uh, he's kind of slanting heavily along belief and faith and all that. I mean, we did do uh, a couple years ago Signs, um, mm -hmm. and that was heavily uh, overtoned, obviously. This one had a lot of that in there, too. Uh, but because I was on that theme, I'm going to touch on this one, which was, I didn't. This is one of those, you find it because, hey, uh, Amazon thinks you might like this kind of thing. I'm well familiar. Yes. Um, this is a movie called How It Ends. Uh, okay. It's from 2021. Uh, it's got quite the list of stars in it as well. Um, but the thing that's interesting about this is... The movie is essentially about the last day for planet Earth. But it's not about that. It is about one particular individual in this. Everybody has come to terms with an asteroid. Is it coming? It's going to wipe out the planet. Um, they actually know what time. Uh, so instead of going all panicky at all... Um, Everybody's going to just uh, rape and pillage and all of that in their final hours. Everyone's kind of become mellow about it. They're, they're all very retrospective. And our, our character in this, uh, Liza, it's a dynamic between her and her younger self. And her younger self is physically there. And so she's having this constant dialogue with herself um, about her life, her regrets, the things that they want to accomplish in this last day before the Earth is gone. Um, and, and so it becomes about all of their, her relationships uh, and, and, and making peace with all of them. So she visits her father, her mother, um, some other things. It has this very dark comedic twist to the whole thing. But what's interesting about it, too, is in this last, these last moments... People are more aware than they have ever been. So they actually acknowledge seeing the younger self, whereas most people, this is an inner monologue that happens 
they're now a physical person in the space and people are seeing this. So it's very, very artsy, very, uh, very meta in how it handles the, the concept of the end of everything. And it was just way more fun than I was expecting it to be. So, Oh, very cool. I'll have to check that one out. Yes, it, it's definitely worth a watch. Uh, it, it is both comedy and introspective and uh, just it was way more fun than I was expecting it to be. I was just in a mood for, okay, somebody else tell me about the end of the world. And this took a high road and it was cool. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right. Very cool. Now I will definitely check that out. Yep. All right. Well, that will do it for the top of the show. We will take a break. We'll listen to a promo for another podcast. And when we get back, unfortunately, <laughs> we will talk about 1997's Batman and Robin. Emergency. Batman speaking. Warning all of you to brace yourselves for big news. The biggest. Tell them, Robin. Holy surprises, Batman. It's really exciting. Greetings, citizens. Join me, your old bat chum, John S. Drew, on my journey to discover what it is I love about the classic 1966 Batman television series on the Batcave podcast. Each episode, I'm joined by a guest host as we review the classic television series there's a new episode every two weeks same bat time same bat channel on itunes stitcher radio or at the batcavepodcast.com holy memoranda folks make a note not to miss it good thinking robin is the way the world could end. Please, show some mercy. With ice. With a kiss. With venom. I probably should have mentioned this. I'm poison. Poison ivy. And the only man who can stop them. I freeze. I'm Batman. Can't do it alone. Batman will watch his beloved Gotham perish. Bundle up, boys. There's a storm coming. Kill the heroes! It's the hockey team from hell! Cool party! Arnold Schwarzenegger. All right, everyone, chill. George Clooney. Julian of the marrying kind. I know you've had your wild nights. Good night. Wild doesn't doesn't quite cover it. Chris O'Donnell. I want a car. Chicks dig the car. This is why Superman works alone. Uma Thurman. So many people to kill. So little time. 
Alicia Silverstone. You are? Batgirl. That's not awfully PC. What about Batperson? Found the Batcave. She knows who we are. Guess we'll just have to kill her. Yep. In Joel Schumacher film. Honor. Partners. And loyalty. Partners. It all comes together. We're going to need a bigger cave. Batman and Robin. Directed by Joel Schumacher and starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Uma Thurman, George Clooney, Chris O'Donnell, Alicia Silverstone, and Michael Goff. The fourth and final film in this run of Batman movies, preceded by 1989's Batman, Batman Returns in 92, and Batman Forever in 1995. Batman and Robin face off against a new villain in town, Mr. Freeze. Victor Freeze was a scientist caught in a freak cryogenic lab accident while trying to find a cure for his dying wife. He has to maintain a zero-degree body temperature and uses a specially designed suit powered by diamonds to do so. Meanwhile, Dr. Pamela Isley is killed by a rival scientist who has used her experiment in plant-human hybrid mutations to create the, the giant super-soldier Bane. She is transformed into the deadly poison Ivy, and she uses her deadly potions to drive a wedge between the dynamic duo. While Ivy and Freeze terrorize Gotham, Wayne Manor is paid a visit by Alfred's niece, Barbara, who has arrived just as Alfred's health appears to be in decline. Barbara discovers Bruce and Dick's secret and dons a bat cow herself to become Batgirl, thanks to the Batcave's computer Alfred AI. Can the three crime fighters unite to thaw Gotham from Freeze's icy grip before Ivy's deadly plants take over the world and convince Mr. Freeze to help save Alfred? Tune in, same bat time, same bat channel. God. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to end that more with, and who cares? <laughs> <laughs> now this, apparently the third film was a commercial success, which prompted the studios to pretty much fast track a fourth film. Val Kilmer, who had donned the cowl in the third film, uh, didn't want to do another film. He wanted to go off and do some other things. He actually didn't know that there would be a film so soon mm-hmm. And he had other commitments. He was going off to do The Saint, and I think he also was going to be working on The Island of Dr. Moreau. He wanted to do very badly because he wanted to work with Marlon Brando. So, yes, yeah, so they had to find a new Batman, and they found uh, George Clooney. I didn't realize. I was thinking this was a lot closer to his ER days, but that actually happened like a good decade earlier. Yes. He was still doing kind of um, a few TV spots and done some small films, he did, of course, uh, from dusk till dawn, right? Which is which is what I think Schumacher saw him in, and is what uh, got kind of got him the job as uh, Batman Bruce Wayne in this film. But yeah, this is his first big like major motion picture. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. <laughs> I thought he was a little bit more of a household name, and he really wasn't yet. Uh, he has actually gone has said that while he agrees. And has apologized for this film. <laughs> He's not sorry he did it because it did give him the opportunity to be a leading man and kind of show people he could be a leading man. And he kind of does attribute this movie 
to kind of helping start his movie career. As you pointed out, uh, other than, of course, his uh, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes run. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah, uh, other than From Dust Till Dawn, he hadn't had any actual theatrical time. I read some, uh, some stories that apparently he's actually paid people back their money that they paid to see Batman and Robin. <laughs> well, Mr. Clooney, uh, you and I need to talk. <laughs> I have not received my reimbursement. Yeah, I thought that, I thought that was funny. I think he's, he's very candid and honest about it, and uh, I got a big kick out of that. There's just so much wrong with this particular film. Uh, for instance, since watching this again and forcing myself to sit through it, um, aside from failing on like every level, I was just disturbed by how much of it is just a string uh, of one-liners and cliched hackney dialogue. Like nobody actually has a conversation in this movie. There, no. Uh, Alfred's the only one that makes anything poignant in any of this. Even as much as I lo- love him in the part, uh, it just comes off forced and hackney. Uh, it, it was almost like Joel sa- sat there. I know this was before smartphones, but I just feel like he just sat there directing this while reading a book or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't care what you guys do. Just get it on film. All we got to do is get it yeah. out the door. No, I don't... I don't necessarily agree with that. I yeah. think he was. I know. I. I think. I think what we see on screen, it's all very uh, intentional. Uh, they were going for the camp. They were trying to kind of harken back to the 1960s Batman. And f- for whatever reason, I'm not sure why they decided to make that decision, but that was a decision that was made, and that is something that they did. And it's it's just not what people wanted. No, I, I, again, because I have been a reader of the comics and I enjoy most of the things Batman related. Um, I remember even just when I was in the theater watching this the first time, I'm like, uh, uh, like sitting there screaming, no, 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 because I'm like, <laughs> none of these are the characters to which they are actually supposed to be. The undeniable offense of being the fact that Barbara <laughs> is related to Alfred and not Barbara Gordon and, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm sorry yes you can take liberties when you do these things but that one was just a, a bridge too far and then Freeze's only motive Freeze wants to murder the city but somehow to get money out of the murdering the city so that he can then do his research. You know, like, you have no understanding of the motivations of, of Mr. Freeze at all. I did appreciate that in this film, they they did lift from uh, Paul Dini's story, Heart of Ice, from the animated series to give Freeze his backstory. Well, yeah, but apparently they didn't watch the whole thing. No. <laughs> <laughs> Because other than having Nora and her disease, that was about the end of it. I suppose, but uh, I just how influential that animated series ended up being. Not only did it create a character like Harley Quinn that now is like synonymous with 
the Batman franchise, that uh, beginning for Mr. Freeze has become like the favored canon. Mr. Freeze sure. was, of course, a character that was created long before that series came along, and he had probably just as many origin stories. Sure. But that that is the one that everyone has now decided, yep, that's the, that's the canon, that's the one we're going with. And so this film did pick up from that. So I, I appreciated that. I thought that was cool. The thing that's uh, a little hard to take is this is... Granted, uh, the animated series has kind of moved on, but at this stage, there's still, like, um, the Justice League series and all of that. And acknowledging, like, it's like they failed to acknowledge that that was a success. So that is still better Batman, that animated series, than this movie ever had any hope of being. Yeah, I I really don't understand the the studio's um, choice of direction for the films. Mm-hmm. Eighty nine Batman came out. There was a level of camp to it, but it was done fairly seriously, mm-hmm. and 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 with a pretty dark edge. Well, Tim Burton behind the helm. You weren't going to get it any other way. Exactly. Uh, the second film, maybe a little lighthearted at times, but still very much Tim Burton kind of related and still well within that that same universe the third film is when they really started going in my opinion kind of off the rails and started yeah. to, that's when Schumacher came in and they started going down that camp route yeah. where they're trying to like take it back to the 60s and you know with Adam West and everything and um why would you do that I'm not sure why they thought oh this is the direction people wanted to go and I don't know, maybe it was something about the 90s or something, but uh, th- this movement toward everything being neon and and, and blacklit and, and all of that, like, I mean, to this day, the, the consummate Batmobile is the 89 Batmobile. You don't get any more Batmobile than that one. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden Schumacher comes in and everything's gl- blue glowy and and weird setups and over dramatic fins that don't make any sense. And, and, and you're like, where are you? Po-? Like, I know Batman has had a weird history when it comes to the comics and, and the 60s series and all that. But I mean, seriously, what was the motivation to go back to that? Who said that that's what they wanted? The only thing I can think of is they decided to go a little campier in that third film, and it did well. So they figured, oh, okay, let's just, you know, pedal to the metal for this next film. There was plans for a fifth film that Schumacher was going to helm. And this one apparently was even going to go further off the rails, despite the fact that the main villain was going to be Scarecrow. Jeez. But this was sounded like everything I read. This was going to be an almost outright comedy. Yeah, I mean, it sounded terrible. Uh, They're also even talking about doing a, a, a like a Robin spinoff with Chris O'Donnell. Uh, possibly that would have gone into a Nightwing. But if they're going down the same route as these films, right. thank God all that was scrapped after the poor reception of this film. I, I can't. Yeah, we've only been saved by the fact that it was as terrible as it was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Well, and it would be, I think we were, we were wondering how long it had been. It was eight years before no, another live-action Batman hit the screens after this. Well, right, yeah, no, I mean, essentially for, depending on where you read or what you read, uh, Joel Schumacher was uh, gifted with the title of Killing Batman. Mm-hmm. He's actually come out on record, too, and apologized that, you know, he says, we didn't intend to upset people. We didn't intend to make a bad movie. We didn't intend to to screw this up. Right. And he, he, he does, he's actually kind of apologized that didn't go as well as he had planned. <laughs> yeah, I, you just, th- this is where you almost need to be that, or you want to talk to Hollywood insiders and go, seriously, what was... What was the thought process? What was the motivation? Why did you think this was what fans wanted? Yeah. Yeah, you're talking about, you know, the Batmobiles and everything looking ridiculous with all the the, the blue, the flashing lights and the, the fins and well, everything. And in this one, the spinny wheel at the front. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't know what that what the hell that was supposed to be. But that carries over even to into the look of Mr. Freeze. Uh-huh. I mean, he looks like he's going to go host a rave somewhere. The joke that came to mind uh, while I was even watching it is I'm like, did Schwarzenegger go back to the set of Blade Runner and pick up a reject suit from that movie? Or not Blade Runner, um, uh, Running Man. Sorry, Running Man. (laughs) He does look like, he looks like something he would would have to run across during the uh, game, doesn't he? He does. Like, I'm thinking of, like, the hockey guy that was in all the lights and all that. I'm like... Yep. You look like that guy. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, this is not, you're not supposed to look like a running man reject. Yeah, and I didn't, I did not like all his, and you're talking about the one-liners. Oh. 90% of them come from Mr. Freeze. Uh-huh. And they're not even all that good. No, no, they're terrible. <laughs> he's, he's like, he's not Mr. Freeze. He's like, oh no, it's the evil dad joke. Yeah. <laughs> The Iceman cometh. Like, what right. the hell? <laughs> Everybody chill. Yeah. Oh, yeah, not not a single thing that he uttered didn't end up with some tortured pun in, mm-hmm. in the saying. And, and, oh, God. And then there's Balloon Man, or better known as Bane. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, he's played by a big wrestler, but I think they, they obviously put him in, like, some additional muscle suit or whatever and it looks like it it looked like he was wearing um just foam rubber yeah like you could have convinced me uh if i didn't know that there was like a wrestler in that suit you could have convinced me the little guy at the beginning was just wearing the inflatable suit that they blew him up in yeah it had the same look of like the uh teenage mutant ninja turtles outfits Kind of only uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles look better. Yeah, except yeah, except less impressive. Yeah. Right, right down to the effects. Like at any point, it not a single bit of ice looked like it was ice. Oh, there's a there's a moment when someone gets out of their car after it's been iced. He opens the door, and the icicles on the side of the door sit there and wiggle. Yeah, they're flapping around because it's clear yeah. that they're just uh, just plastic, plastic of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, going back to Bane, any fan, well, if there's any fans of Bane, considering he's kind of like, you know, a villain or whatever, had to have absolutely been 
pissed at this film. Oh, yeah. Bane is a hyper-intelligent, well-rounded individual, and in this, they turn him into just a, a, a growling ape. Oh, mindless. A- a- yeah. Absolutely no, no, there's no point for him to be there. They could have just had any thug. Mm-hmm. And, and then I, I had to giggle for a second because I had forgotten he was in there, but John Glover showing up as the uh, the Dr. Jason Woodrew, the one... The guy that made Bane and supposedly yeah. killed Pamela. Uh, just like, why? <laughs> what was this for? I read a, uh, I read a story, some little bit of trivia. So, you know, take it as you will, because I'm reading it online or whatever. But John Glover had said that, uh, you know, before that, before saying action, you know, Schumacher would sit there and go like, remember, we're making a cartoon. And so John Clever's like, it's kind of hard to act when you're under the, when you got that kind of attitude coming out of your director. Like I said, I, I, I take your premise that this was all intentional, but yes, that attitude, that whole, yeah, we're going to do it this way, but we're not taking this serious in, in any way. And I get it. it it's a car, it, It's a comic book character. You can do this a thousand ways. None of what they chose worked. <laughs> no. No, the only one I would give them any... Uh, I don't think the portrayal of Poison Ivy was as bad as the portrayal of the rest of the characters. I'm not going to say it was the best portrayal of Poison Ivy, but in the context of this film, I think that she was the best. So- it's an incredibly low bar, but I will give you that. <laughs> like I said, uh, of the performances that I got out of this, uh, Alfred was probably the well, the, sure. the shining <laughs> moment in this. I mean, I just I actually felt bad for George Clooney, especially this go around on this. I'm like, you have no point in it, like. Batman and Robin have almost nothing to do with this other than to bicker with one another. Mm-hmm. And then this constant tug toward partnership and family and all that, that they, they they're, they're, there's no motivation for it. There's no reason. Uh, you don't care. I'm like, quite frankly, you're all whiny, uh, including Batman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I don't like any of you at any point in this film. And, and the part, uh, and I have to bring this up only because I'm a huge Nightwing fan. I am miserable that Chris O'Donnell is basically wearing Nightwing's outfit. Mm. If you take the cape off and you turn the red Brits blue, you got Nightwing. Yep. Take the nipples yeah. off too. Yeah. Whereas George Clooney' career uh, kind of started to grow after this. Schwarzenegger's definitely didn't have any issues, and nor neither did Uma Thurman. Yeah. Chris O'Donnell's and Alicia Silverstone's almost came to a screeching halt mm-hmm. after this film. It, it only occurred to me when I started digging up the film, like, oh yeah, Chris O'Donnell, he was Robin. What in the world has he done? He's been working. He didn't sure. just completely disappear. Uh, he's moved into a, doing some a lot of television and stuff like that most recently. But uh, yeah, he was like one of the sort of young Hollywood up-and-comings at the time. And then he stopped. <laughs> well, 
you have to kind of get, uh, like, I don't know what he and his agent and all that were capable of. But, yes, if this was supposed to showcase his talents, all he did was whine through this entire mm-hmm. film. So you took somebody that um, is an incredibly handsome man and you made him a whiny little boy during the entirety of the film. So if this is what you get to see him in, it's very off-putting. Yeah. And it doesn't showcase any skill. All he had to do is sit there and piss and moan. Right. And same for Alicia Silverstone. <laughs> she had very she had nothing to do in this film at all. And she is actually I, I think she's an actually really great actress. Her sure. role in Clueless is phenomenal. I've seen uh, her that, in stuff since then too, where even as an yeah. older actress now, um, she does some really nice work. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, apparently she, she dealt with a lot of, uh, body shaming issues, uh, at the time because, you know, she, um, worked out and everything to get in shape to be Batgirl. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, while working on the film, there was some rumor by someone on the crew or whatever that they had to like take out her bat suit a little bit or something like that. And, you know, they, someone drew some cartoon or whatever and talking about how she ballooned up and it was total exaggeration and sure. completely unfair and you know she's just a young teenager young 20 something i forget i think she was still like 17 18 years old at the time yeah just uncalled for and unfair and i think that maybe kind of soured the milk a little bit she may have purposely kind of backed away from her career just because why would you want to deal with that yeah looking through stuff yeah she slow played it quite a bit after 97 yeah, which is unfortunate. So I, I think, you know, we lost out on her appearing in other films, and who knows what we could have gotten from her after that. Well, and hearing that story, uh, uh, I'm just going to get a dig on the globe in general. I'm getting tired of people being petty. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. So like, what is it, your business? She's making a movie. You're not. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So why we we picked this and put it into our into this year's theme? I was wondering because as I remembered the film, I overall I I think this film can be a bit garish. I don't know if it really does look pretty. Right. But a highlight of the film for me, and the only really saving grace is the look of Gotham City in general in this. I think is phenomenal. The, the the sprawling city, the sky rises, it all has that outrageous... It, it's everything you kind of saw established in the Tim Burton films on steroids. It is, uh, and actually you can pull a bit of uh, the animated series out of that Absolutely. too. The, yes. the over-exaggeration of the size and scope of what still feels a little um, 30s-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's all very Art Deco. It's all very, very uh, garish is the perfect word. Um, but then it's also on a scale that's unfathomable. Like, um, I mean, it's a ridiculous scene when they chase down the giant statue. But you can picture Gotham in this scenario with a giant statue like that that just lumbers over the 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 landscape. 
Yeah, the garish is more directed at like the Batmobile and the actual bat suits and and it, all all the the residents of Gotham. I think can be pretty garish, but actual Gotham City itself, I think, looks incredible. Yeah. Uh, the the observatory, which is absolutely useless, <laughs> uh, being in the middle of a city. But the idea of it being suspended there atop, you know, on top of this giant city and being held aloft by like some freaking statue. Brilliant. I love that look. Uh, yeah, the, the, the highway that must be 20 stories off the ground right. that then, then, like you were saying, they, they jump off the road and dive down the arms of, you know, some s- sculpture of Adonis or something like that. Yeah, it's right out of something from the animated series. It looks fantastic. I love the look of Gotham City in this film. Oh, and uh, it's funny you mentioned the the planetarium again, or the observatory, not the planetarium, mm-hmm. but the observatory. It's never really clear where that is because if you recall at, at, at the climax of the film, it's also waterside. <laughs> is it? It is because, uh, like, when they... when. When the actual um, telescope falls out of the thing and starts to plummet, they are literally along the waterline because that's where Batman leaves oh, right. the two uh, the two doctors standing on barely a rocky surface. That oh, that's just right. Well, maybe it was, the water. Maybe it was right there on the shoreline or something like that. But either way, you're not going to see anything out of that observatory. No, <laughs> the it, light it, pollution is going to be so bad. Well, uh, well, you might because the thing is so damn tall. Uh, it <laughs> oh, might actually true. be borderline stratosphere. Because <laughs> I mean, when they point the telescope down, it is above the city. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, but the the garishness definitely goes to like the the, the Batmobile, yeah. the bat uh, the bat cave, um, the 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 case that the uh, the Redbird motorcycle is in and opens up and it's got the neon Redbirds on the side yeah. and it's like, why would you do that? Who is it for? <laughs> yeah, uh, how does who who exactly built that tunnel that goes from the Bat Cave and then apparently stretches twenty miles under the city? <laughs> uh, you know, you read enough comic books and you start finding out the network down there is actually pretty expansive. <laughs> but, yeah, that's true. But at any rate, yes, no, you're completely right. Uh, but yeah, I, you get into that stuff with the the vehicles and the Batcave and all that. And, and I think there was... I'm going to throw this out here because it, it it's one of the things that drives me crazy in this film too and i think it's meant to mean something i'm just not sure where they're going with it if you notice in batman and robin he now has a partner Mm -hmm. robin robin's been with him since at least the last film and yet the new batmobile is a single seater yeah whereas all the prior ones were not (laughs) I think you're supposed to read something into that, but because this movie has zero depth, we didn't touch into any of that at all. It's just so they could have the Robin with the line, I want a car. Yeah. Chicks dig the car, which is I'm probably in, I think it was in the trailer. But thank God they didn't get into any other vehicles. Uh, oh, oh, didn't they? 
well the climax of the film that is something that actually i remember reading that, that the uh they really wanted this film to be as they put it toyetic yeah they wanted toys to come out of this movie sure. Uh, boy, did they get their money worth on that? Because yeah, at the climax of the film, we've got you know everyone on a, a there's a bat cycle for for Batgirl. A uh, Robin is in some weird ass bat ski or something like that. Yeah. Batman's got some bat hovercraft or something. Oh, I have to pick on this before we ever get near to wrapping this up, though. Um, did you happen to notice that we introduce Batgirl? In a scene, she shows up to save the guys from from Poison Ivy. Mm -hmm. And she's in a standard black uh, bat suit, essentially. But immediately upon leaving Poison Ivy, they all go get their crazy funky vehicles and already switch into new outfits that have silver lining on all of of their trim. And like... Really? Yeah. <laughs> like, you already needed a fa- fashion change uh, within the past 20 minutes? <laughs> yeah, well, that's what's going to sell more toys. Oh, that, and they gave her the bat ears long enough for her to take him off. Yeah, yeah, they had, like, the little... Uh, she wore it as, like, a crash helmet while she was on the bike. Yeah, yeah, and, the, and she um, ripped it off because it was important to see her long, luscious hair. <laughs> right. That bat suit, however... Um, is repainted and then used in the Birds of Prey series. Is it seriously? Yeah, yeah. Barbara in that uh, in that show when she dons the uh, the bat suit. Yeah, that's that's from this movie. Interesting. Yeah. A- actually, of the suits, uh, hers was probably the least objectionable. Yeah, yeah. Well, reuse, recycle. You know, come on. Uh, but I, I I felt it was still sexist. Cause oh. Yeah, because the guys had nipples. <laughs> How do you think that movie would have gone over if they had put nipples on the Batgirl suit? Yeah, yeah, that's... Yeah, we do have to... The, well, the nipples were actually introduced in the third film, but they were highlighted in this fourth film for some reason. Oh, yeah, they were on everything all the time. Um, it didn't matter which version of the suit they were wearing. But, yeah, I... I, I can't help but pick. It, it, they chose, rightfully so, <laughs> not to not to do that for the girls' outfit, but it doesn't make it any better that it was on the men's. No, I I hated the suit up scenes for all three of them, especially it's, the gratuitous butt shots. Yeah, just all that was just awful. Yeah, no, it's just it hurt. It really did hurt because I, I am such a I, I love the character of Batman. I love his rogues gallery. I love Dick Grayson. I, I am a Nightwing fan through and through. I love that that was that all hit me right at the right times because that was Dick growing up at the same time I was crossing those thresholds of going into college and becoming my own person. And he did all of that at the same time. So it... It touched me in the right spot at the right time, and then to watch them do this to these characters was just miserable. Well, let's go see what everyone else thought about this film. We did get some uh, comments from the social medias. Over on Discord, uh, Matt chimes in that says, This movie had the misfortune of being 
far too late. If this exact same script was used 30 years earlier for Adam West and Burt Ward's Batman and Robin, we would have all remembered it fondly and as one of the greatest Batman movies of all time. Nothing in this movie is a bug, it's a feature. (laughs) That's a very interesting take, and I can't say he isn't wrong. But I don't know if I would take it so far back as to the, the 60s Batman. This movie made me really think of like the 70s cartoons okay the uh, the old uh, uh super friends stuff super friends and batman and robin had their own cartoon sure. for yeah. a while as well and that's what i was really thinking of they're, they're like the early scenes with batman and robin they're fighting mr freeze and they're on the ice and they fall down and they click their heels together and they suddenly have ice skating you know they have a uh, uh, skating blades on yeah. their boots and everything and like this is all right out of those cartoons it very much is. And it's clear that that's what they were shooting for. I mean, actually, it's one of my fonder memories of the third film, which is still not a favorite of mine. Uh, but that first time Robin is actually getting to be Robin, and he actually, they get to the island where, uh, and he goes, holy great, Batman. And, and, and Val Kilmer goes, what did you say? He's like, there's a grate here, and it's full of holes. Like Great. that, that that was cute. I liked it. It was a fun moment. But to make an entire film around that notion is terrible. <laughs> right. Uh, over on Reddit, Rando Gringo says this bad movie was well intentioned. It shows a cool Gotham City that has its own look. Best thing I could say. It's half as long as most Batman movies, though, so that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> that is fair. It was short. Yeah. Johnny Prophet says, I liked it in the vein that it was a spoof of the Dark Knight grim uh, that Batman had become over the three previous movies. It was a throwback to the lighter TV series, Batman. So, okay. So he catches it. And he does actually say, Holy holy Rusty Metal Roof Batman. But I think he's referencing the third film with what you were just talking about. Holy holy Rusty Great Batman or something. He goes on, he says, I mean, nipples for goodness sake. It was a farce, but an entertaining one. Curious, at that point, what roles had Clooney had except for teen comedy? Anyone ever see Return of the Killer Tomatoes? <laughs> he says that he gives it a 7 out of 10 for being a great farce on the Batman series to date. So yeah, interesting, taking it as an actual farce. Over on Facebook, Jeff Owen says, I enjoyed it 25 years ago. Have no idea how it holds up, or if I should have enjoyed it back then. <laughs> Ron Moon just says, the nipple bat suit. <laughs> <laughs> Floyd Ressler says, I knew the film was in trouble when it opened with the, he says the PC, but he means commit commissioner Gordon saying, there's a new villain. I thought that's the best you can do to introduce Mr. Freeze. The movie didn't get any better. Plus it had way too many villains. So, uh, he thought it was a little too overpacked with the villains. Might be right. Especially when you think I forgot about Bane. Right. Completely. Uh, Justin McLean says it's a live-action cartoon meant to sell Happy Meals, and that right there is probably a, as good a s- description as you're ever going to get for the film. You nailed it, sir. <laughs> yeah. Uh, our good friend Steve uh, comes in and says, Clooney has, had, has said that this film taught him the most valuable lesson of his acting career. He accepted the job before seeing the script. <laughs> before there likely was a script. Because who wouldn't jump at the chance to play Batman? Right. And he got stuck with this. 
<laughs> Which, as we discussed, he's been magnanimous about ever since. <laughs> yes. Well, that's what our uh, our listeners and friends had to say. What did the professionals have to say about this in 90, 1997? All righty. Uh, we'll start with Kenneth, Kenneth Turan of uh, Los Angeles Times. Uh, the strutting bully that was the Batman franchise is no more. <laughs> Batman and Robin, the fourth film in the series, still preens and blusters, but there's no knockout punch, lacking most kinds of an inspiration and geared to under undemanding minds. This project is overloaded with hardware and stunts. It's relief to have it over. So we really loved it. (laughs) Yeah. So he's saying that the best thing about the film is that it ends. Exactly. Uh, and then Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune. Our flick of the week is Batman and Robin, a sniggering, exhausting, overproduced extravaganza that has virtually all the humanity pounded out of it in the name of an endless parade of stunt sequences. You know you're in trouble when the most appealing character in the film is Bruce Wayne's dying butler, Alfred. <laughs> so clearly a fan <laughs> yeah. and then I'm not actually going to read too much of our friend Roger Ebert uh, uh, it's clear from his overall review that um, he went in with such high hopes and apparently he actually kind of liked the third movie um, but he says because of my love of the world of Batman I went to Joel Schumacher's Batman and Robin with real anticipation. I got thrilled all over again by the gothic towers of Gotham City. I was reminded of how cool the Batmobile is. I got to contradict you there. Uh, Mm -hmm. Batman has a new one. And I smiled at the the fetishistic delight with which Batman and Robin put on their costumes, sheathing themselves in shiny black second skins, and clamping on lots of belts, buckles, shields, hooks, pulleys, etc. Parentheses. How, how does that stuff, how much does that stuff weigh? How do they run while they're wearing it? <laughs> but my delight began to fade about 30, at the 30 minute mark, when it became clear that this new movie, like its predecessor, was not really going to explore the bizarre world of its heroes, but would settle down safely into a special effects extravaganza. He goes on from there, but, uh, um, yeah, uh, he wanted so much more of this. He gave it two stars and I think he was generous at that. No, absolutely. If you visit the Metacritics, uh, yeah, it's just a series of panning the hell (laughs) out of this thing. Uh, one of my more favorite ones here, uh, uh, this was something, uh, SF, uh, uh, Examiner, I assume, San Francisco. Clooney's stiff cornball delivery and tendency to smile during the most tragic moments brings this as close to the cartoonish Batman television series of the 1960s as any movie has come. So, (laughs) and, and, And that's a good point. We didn't even discuss that. I don't know if you caught that, but there isn't a moment in this film, good, bad, or ugly, where Clooney's version of Bruce Wayne or Batman isn't donning a smile or at least a smirk. He's always got that Clooney smirk. Right, and you're just like, 
that's not appropriate right now. Yeah. Well, I think he he he's stuck with I guess what you'd call rust uh resting Clooney face because <laughs> you, you've been sitting on that one, haven't you? <laughs> that is just the the look of George Clooney. That 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 is how he looks, and that is the way you see him in any photograph in any film. That's the look he has on his face. He's entirely built his career on that smirk. Yes, hey, there isn't anything where that that look isn't the driver of his character. <laughs> right. So there we go. So I found something pretty in the film, but overall, I think it's pretty much almost universally agreed that this one's a bad film. Well, it looked pretty. <laughs> uh, somewhat. <laughs> somewhat. Uh, yeah, no. I, I appreciate those uh, from, from our audience that have actually tried to look at it in a positive light you have i usually go there and can't (laughs) the cast was pretty sure yeah (laughs) absolutely well that's gonna do it for batman and robin i think there's nothing more to be said next episode in two weeks we're gonna look at 2000s dungeons and dragons and uh this will be interesting because I thought I had not seen this film at all until I watched a trailer, and now I'm wondering if I've seen this film. <laughs> and also, apparently, there's a new Dungeons & Dragons coming out there soon. Is. I had no idea, so how fortuitous. <laughs> You're not definitely pinned to what's the up-and-coming. <laughs> You're all over 1950s, but... <laughs> Yeah, no, somehow I missed the fact that there was going to be a new Dungeons & Dragons film. And I can honestly say I have not seen the 2001, so this should be interesting. Yep, yep, we'll, we shall check it out. At the trailer, at least, like I said, you know, it, it, it looks like there's some production value put into it. So we'll see if it really does look pretty, and we'll see if there's anything else to it. Uh, until then, I guess thank you very much for joining us. Please follow the link in the show notes to all the social medias and to learn how you can help maybe even help the show financially. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Thanks, everybody. Bye. See ya.